It's Lake of the Weekday today, but before that, a topic that we need to talk about but isn't a whole lot of fun to talk about, aquatic invasive species. You will be forgiven if you think we're talking about COVID-19. Because like COVID-19 in our area, we heard it was here, but we didn't see much change for a while. And then we did. And like COVID-19, we want to stop the spread. Nicole Kovar, an AIS specialist with the Minnesota DNR out of Park Rapids, returns to the show today, and we'll delve into this messy topic next. in the sand pulling in a big catch makes me feel like a man but the wife she just don't understand i love walleye perch trout and bass and if you don't like fishing you can kiss my four stroke right in the back because the fishes all tremble at the thought of me when i'm fishing for bun in country this is fishing paul bunyan country presented by northland fishing tackle well, we haven't talked to her for a couple of years. It's great to have her back on the show. Uh, Nicole Kovar, she's the AIS specialist in our area, headquartered out of Park Rapids. Nicole, thanks for taking time today. We appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope uh, you and, and anyone listening is doing well and enjoying the summer season here. So far, so good for us. Uh, I know for you, and I've talked to guys in the fisheries offices as well many times, it's been a challenge to try to find some normalcy when you're still operating outside of an office situation. Absolutely. We are um, in, in actually in, in EWR and in bases anyway. I know wildlife and fisheries may be a little different, but we are still working remotely from home um, and practicing social distancing guidelines when we can go out in the field. Um, so it is pretty difficult to um, find alternative means of doing our work and um, and maintain the safety requirements, uh, but we're getting it done and enjoying being out in nature at the beginning of this we were all inside (laughs) (laughs) yes well nicole let's let's start at the beginning you're an ais specialist i think we kind of have a general idea of what an ais specialist would do aquatic invasive species specialist but what is what is it you're doing on a day-to-day basis um i'm in the realm of species on the ground work so we have two lanes if you will in our program one of those is the watercraft inspection program which um, is the inspectors at the landing um, educating and um, looking for invasive species, um, having those contacts with people on a one-on-one basis. And then we have our other lane, the specialists across the state, work on permitting. So I permit plant manage, invasive plant management. So in the beginning of this field season, field season, right after ice out, we're usually out doing delineations, um, which means we are kind of finding a boundary for lake associations that might want to treat um, to manage different plant species. Uh, and that can be first starting with curly leaf, which is real early. That can go into Eurasian water milfoil. And then we start um, into research. So we collect a lot of data um, and coordinate with NACERC um, and other universities. In fact, I have the University of Montana wanting to do some eDNA work over here in our region. So they're going to be using um, Lake Bemidji to do some eDNA work. So I'll be helping collect that data with them when they get over here in August. And in other things like Starry Stonewall, we do research on to figure out um, the best way to manage or um, invasive capability. Um, And then we have reports. 
definitely starting now. We are looking for new infestations. Um, we get pictures and, and emails and calls saying that people have seen something suspicious, which I absolutely love and appreciate that people are keeping their eyes on the water. They're being more aware and recognizing that things seem out of place. A lot of them I can identify quickly, photos especially, but some of them we do have to go out and, and verify, um, especially a, like a zebra mussel report. If something is found, you know, we'll go and, and check it out. Sometimes the reports, you know, the, the picture, uh, or maybe somebody just made a report and threw it back into the into the water and they didn't take it with them or take a picture. So we have to go out and try and find adults that might be in the lake in question. Um, we do that quite a bit. We have a dive team in the DNR, EWR Invasives, comprised of uh, the specialists in our region. We have another specialist in uh, Fergus Falls. We work together quite a bit, especially in the middle of our region where most of the lakes are. And then in the winter season, we write up field reports. We catch up on all the latest research. We attend symposiums and conferences and things like that because invasive species ecology is fairly new in the realm of natural resources and it's always changing. We're always learning new things uh, that we didn't uh, before since some of these species are still new to our state. Let's find out how you became an AIS specialist. How does one get into that side of it? My route was, I guess, maybe unintended. (laughs) Um, I went to school for fisheries and wildlife management at Michigan State University, and I started in fisheries in Michigan, lake surveys, fish surveys. Actually, there's a lot of trout rivers in Michigan, so a lot of trout river surveying, salmon stocking, egg take, and things of that nature. Unfortunately, at the time, we were going into that recession in in about 2004 or 2005. They started pulling money out of the uh, different programs, and so I started looking for other positions. Ended up in shallow lakes in Minnesota. So it's a shallow lake. It was water, right? Shallow lakes are managed for waterfall habitat. So I spent nine years managing um, the shallow lakes in southwest Minnesota for waterfall habitat. Of course, up to know um, lake ecology and aquatic vegetation and all those different components of uh, water systems. And then I, I, I'm from the Upper Peninsula, so I, I really wanted to move back into um, forest lands. So a position opened up up here, and it was in water, aquatic and invasive species, and um, I took this position and moved up here. And and our expertise in aquatic invasives does deal with all the aquatic vegetation. I say this a lot in my trainings that I give, um, that to know what doesn't belong, you need to know what does belong. So learning the native aquatic plants, is very important, too, so you can recognize the difference between them. So that's how I ended up in uh, Park Rapids in an invasive species. We've had a number of things that have come to the forefront throughout our area. First, it was Asian water milfoil and zebra mussels and starry stormwort uh, for about a year or two. We heard a lot of and then it's back to zebra mussels. And those zebra mussels, they keep spreading. They do, and it has been shown by some genetic work that a lot of the pockets of infestations that we have around the state, so groups of different lakes. common one people might have heard of would be, you know, Minnetonka and all the area around that, or the Brainerd Lakes area, or the Alexandria Lakes area. So those are little pockets 
that have started, if you look at an aerial photo, those genetic work has shown that the spread is actually local. They can see that zebra mussels are related, if you will, in those pockets, which translates to spread is coming from usually a local lake. So it's very important for anyone, you know, living in a certain area to make sure that if they go to that, you know, zebra mussel lake, they thoroughly clean their boat or they get a decontamination or something along those lines. More are popping up, unfortunately, in our region. Do have our large, actually, all of our region's large lakes now are infested with zebra mussels. So we had cast and then leech. Lake of the Woods, we have uh, villagers found in in water samples last fall, that's when they're processed. Samples were taken in summer. So if anyone hasn't heard of that, Lake of the Woods is infested or listed, infested with zebra mussels. No adults have been found yet. And that's something visually that if somebody doesn't see the zebra mussel either, maybe they're not aware that there are villagers. It's such a giant lake, right, that finding an adult might take some time, be really difficult. So knowing that it, they're there anyway, so that you can be extra careful. And then Red Lake now has villagers found too. Big lakes have them now, and um, our smaller lakes are starting to pop up with them. Bemidji, of course, smaller lakes around the Cass Lake. Adults are now adults have moved into those, Andrusia and Wolf and all, all those around it. Ten Mile, which is down in Cass County, was listed last year for villagers. We're following that trend of local infestations. And it's, you know, risk gets higher with proximity to another infested water body. So it, um, the formula that's commonly used is, I won't get the uh, percentages <laughs> uh, exact, but use um, proximity, you know, increases the risk, which is commonsensically that people are using it more. There's more of a percent chance. Nicole Kovar is a DNR AIS specialist in Paul Bunyan Country. We'll continue the conversation next. This is Fish in Paul Bunyan Country presented by Northland Fishing Tech. Fish in Paul Bunyan Country presented by Northland Fishing Tackle. Nicole Kovar, my guest today. She is an AIS specialist in Paul Bunyan Country out of Park Rapids. We're talking about zebra mussels. We've seen firsthand the dramatic changes that can occur. I mean, Cass Lake is, it was clear to begin with, it's, it's much, much clearer now. It's really affected when you can effectively catch walleyes. We've seen changes in Lake Winnie, a very dirty lake in the past that is clearing up and the fish are moving there. Uh, so it, it can make some big changes in a, in a relatively short period of time. What we have not seen, though, is damage to this point in the actual populations of the fish. It's more where they're at and, and an adjustment an angler has to make. Yes, definitely. Those anecdotal reports are what we're hearing as well. This is pretty common in the scientific world to not make any um, determinations until you have base, a solid, long base of information or data collected. And that means 20 years. You can see maybe a yearly dips or what have you, but to see a trend in how things are developing needs a longer period of time. So we don't have that trend yet, if you will, 
in a lot of our lakes. You know, some of them, beaver mussels have been around a little longer. The light now can get down to the bottom of these lakes where it wouldn't be before, so we got clarity. So clarity is higher, and light can reach all the way down for some species that like the darker water, they're going to move into the darker water, or plants are growing deeper or in places they hadn't before. That will also shift where predator fish are hanging out. Fishermen will have to adjust to different weed lines and fishing different different drop-offs and things like that. As far as populations decreasing, we listened to some of the research coming out of fisheries. One of them was showing that diet is changing. Maybe there's not a lot of survival in the younger ones, um, but the older fish, because beaver mussels take part of the food web out of the chain and they shift their diet accordingly. One of the key terms we use is letting nature catch up. Our purpose, one of our goals in the Invasive Species Program is to slow the spread to let research and nature catch up. Not that we'll prevent invasive species from getting in every lake or any lake, but if we slow it down, we can let nature find a balance or research find some solution. As we move forward, what are you seeing as the biggest concerns right now? I know you got a couple of calls this week, once again, about zebra mussels. Moving forward, you know, my concerns are probably the same as always, making sure people are aware, don't let their guard down. I've just been hearing from different people that uh, watercraft sales are up. People are, you know, going out to the lake. So ensuring the personal watercraft that you might have recently bought is inspected and decontaminated. Those do hold water as well. And in that water, the villagers can live for a certain amount of time, which might promote spread to different lakes. We have been really successful, though, in reaching a lot of people. So our violation, we look at the violation rate. So that has gone down to just a tiny percentage. So now we're looking at different pathways. Um, when you look at social marketing research and data, they're showing or they're saying that when you get to that tiny percentage of most people doing the right thing, there's some percentages you just can't get to turn your attention to other pathways. So right now, moving forward, we've started a community-based social marketing project in the state of Minnesota actually a few years ago. And right now, there are grants available for entities that might want to pursue this type of work. And it is, to put it in layman's terms as best as I can, because I'm not uh, a social scientist, but (laughs) basically to use peer pressure to change behavior. Extremely interesting does work. Um, And an example would be, why does everyone face the door when you get in an elevator? There's no rule, (laughs) but we all do it because everyone else is doing it. So this is what we must do, right? Right. Um, So very interesting work. We put out a grant, a request for proposal this winter. Ahead of time, we contracted to do a lot of survey work, not field survey, but social surveying priority, highest risk, or saturation, they call it, what's already being done, what people might do. So they found that the pathways that haven't had a lot of attention are the aquarium trade and the used dock lift sales or transfer. Now we can focus on that kind of pathway and reduce the risk from those pathways. We don't have 
a way to track how many used docks and lifts are being moved around, but maybe we can work on that and prevent a new infestation from that. We do have at least a handful a year in our region and probably more in higher populated regions of infestations happening because of movement of a dock lift piece of water equipment that was moored in the lake. person may have thought it was clean. It looks clean from the outside, but zebra mussels were attached on the inside, something of that nature. So unfortunately, we do have those happening still. Moving forward, that's what we're going to focus on. We have a lot more to cover with Nicole, so she'll be back tomorrow because there's more to AIS than zebra mussels. But also tomorrow, back to the fun. We'll have a lot more with Bro Bros Doll. Up next, we put the spotlight on the latest Lake of the Week. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country, presented by Northland Fishing Tag. We are getting ready for the first ever Lucan's Village Foods United Way Fishing Tournament, also sponsored by Coca-Cola of Bemidji. Great tournament, perfect tournament for an upsurge in the COVID-19 world. All you need to do is download the Fish Donkey app, find the United Way Bemidji Tournament, get registered. Fee is $200 for your two-person team. You're basically in two tournaments. There's going to be a bass side and a walleye side, and yes, you can win both. First place in each division is $3,000 based on 100 boats. We're going to go uh, with prizes through the top nine spots. Here's the deal. You can fish any lake in Beltrami, any lake in Clearwater, any lake in Hubbard, and you have three days to fish from 7 a.m. Friday, July 24th through 2 o'clock Sunday, the 26th. It's catch, photo, and release, and the Fish Donkey app does all the work. More details available at unitedwaybemidji.org, or you can just download the Fish Donkey app. It's a great cause. It's going to be a great tournament. The Lucan's Village Foods United Way Fishing Tournament, also sponsored by Coca-Cola. Of course, we're proud to be part of it here on Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Uh, Nailers, First National Bank Bemidji and Paul Bunyan Communications. Hills Plumbing and Heating, Amity Graphics and Dick Beardsley Fishing Guide Service. Acme Tools, Dick's Plumbing and Heating and L&M Fleet Supply. And Northwoods Bait, Sanford Health. Visit Bemidji and Northland Tackle, all sponsoring the event. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country, presented by Northland Fishing Tackle, and it's Lake of the Weekday. Lake of the Weekday, Lake of the Weekday, Lake of the Weekday, holy cow! It's Lake of the Weekday, and we are once again checking in with Doug Schultz from the Walker Area Fisheries Office as we take a look at uh, Little Webb. And a couple uh, things uh, Little Webb has in common with the other lakes we've we've looked at so far, Doug. Uh, a, it's in the near the Hackensack area, and B, uh, a lot of uh, the same types of fish, a lot of panfish, bass, and northerns. Yeah, yeah, that's another, and that that's probably the best description of this lake. Kev is it's a panfish, bass type of lake first. Uh, also has a pretty abundant pike population, and then you know a handful of walleyes in the background. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the panfish, uh, crappies and bluegills present in there. Um, good fishing opportunities, small fish, big fish. What do we got in there? Actually, uh, great fishing opportunities uh, for for those two species around here. Uh, you know, both of those populations, crappie and sunfish, are moderate density and have really good size quality. Uh, we last sampled that uh, during spring 2016 as we were getting ready for a, a regulation. A proposal on that lake and bluegill were around 35 fish per trap net which is actually on the higher side of what we see around here and uh, most of those fish were 
quite a few of them were seven inches and up, and uh, the crappie catch rate was about six per trap net, which I'd, I'd put that in range of normal. And um, we saw fish approaching 13 inches there. And in 2017, we implemented a five-fish possession limit for both black crappie and for sunfish, so five five fish of each each type you can have in possession, um, with the goal of improving uh, size structure even more than what it is, and, and, as it has produced some pretty large panfish in the past. Okay. Um, so a little web is it's not really a, it's not a big lake by any stretch. It's um, it's uh, 226 acres, uh, but uh, it, obviously if you're that small and you're having that kind of success, it's it's packed pretty full of fish. Yeah, and it's you know it's only got a maximum depth depth of 37 feet too. So wow. They're they're in there. Uh, you know the water quality is pretty good in that lake. Uh, water clarity is usually around 14 feet, and uh, it's fairly. Uh, you know, well vegetated as well. So it's by design. It's it's a panfish bass lake. Okay, uh, you noted that uh, there are northerns in there, and again, uh, like so many of our lakes, a lot of them. Um, but the average size, you know, is um, about one point seven pounds. That's not terrible. Not terrible, but you know, they tend to run on the smaller side in that one as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, another another one of those lakes up in this part of the state where we have that that issue of you know high density pike and smaller size structure uh this is another one where you know the gillnet catch rates are typically above 10 fish per net so um you know it's another one of those lakes we're hoping that zone regulation 22 to 26 inch protected slot limit uh 10 fish possession with no more than two fish over 26 inches uh, another one of those lakes we're hoping that zone regulation can can really help move the needle uh, a bit and and, uh, you know, if we can get some improvements in the pike population, move the average size up uh, that anglers are able to harvest, uh, that also is going to, you know, help out with, with managing things like uh, bluegills and crappies as well. Okay. North, uh, it's northwest of Webb Lake, for those who might be familiar with that, a much bigger lake. Um, what about the uh, the pressure this lake uh, has and, and uh, the development on it? Uh, moderately developed, and I'd say the pressure is probably in that 10 to 15 hour uh, per acre range, so not not too bad. Um, it's you know I mentioned you know water clarity is pretty good. It's just a it's a really nice little lake to to go visit. Um, so if we are going to go visit that lake, uh, where do we find it exactly? From Hackensack, go east on County Road Five towards Longville and turn north onto Twenty uh, Seventh Avenue and go about a mile uh, north on on Twenty Seventh Avenue and then turn left on the 40th Street, and after a couple miles of public access, be on your left, about where the road dead ends. Okay, and that is a nice concrete uh, ramp, it looks like. Yep, yep, and there's no invasive species in that one that we're aware of, so obviously folks should be careful not to be moving stuff around. Okay, yes, uh, again, uh, we'll we'll, we'll mention that, um, although so many of our Big lakes have been noted to have some AIS in the last five years or so. So many of these little ones are still, you know, as far as that goes, pristine. So um, that's why you have to continue to to be very, very vigilant when you're checking your boat out. Well, and, and a lot of those little lakes get pretty popular on the days the wind's blowing. That's right, yes. So. Yeah, so t- t- do take care there. All right, it's Little Web. It's our Lake of the Week. Doug Schultz from the Walker Area Fisheries Office with the details. Hey, Doug, as always, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kevin. F-I-S-H-I-I-N, Paul Bunyan Country.